Welcome to the East Coast Music Association's Radio ECMA podcast, presented by TD. From songwriting to stage, we discover what makes music happen in Atlantic Canada. Turn up that radio dial. Here's your host, Chris Batstone. Welcome, my friends, to the Radio ECMA podcast. <laughs> oh, yes, we're getting into Halloween around these parts. Myself and Tony, we got our offices all dressed up for today's episode. Even TD coming in hot here. Their costume this year is proud supporters of East Coast music. Which is not actually a costume at all, because that's just what they are. <laughs> Thank you, TD, for supporting the ECMA and the Radio ECMA podcast. And this is the Halloween edition, and we're calling it Heavy Halloween. Oh yes, a couple of heavy-duty acts on the podcast today. In the second half of the podcast, we're going to Halifax for Botfly, who've been together a really, really long time. Just recently walked away with an ECMA award for loud recording of the year for their latest record, Lower Than Love. Going to talk to Keegan Goodspeed from Botfly. Find out all about what they've been up to, which really hasn't been a great lot as far as touring goes. And we'll see if that's going to change. Ask Keegan about that in the second half of the podcast. First up, we're going to bring in here JJ Tartalia. And I know lots of you out there know JJ from Inverness, Cape Breton. And this guy is a renowned metal drummer and someone who has done a lot in his career. His day job is the drummer of Skull Fist. We're going to find out what they're up to, but we're also going to talk about a new project from JJ called Thunderer, and this is more of a JJ-centered project, even though he says it is a band, no question, but it's also centered around JJ because not only is he drumming, but he's also singing something that he had to develop and we're going to talk about that in this interview coming up but first let's hear from thunderer all or nothing jj tartalia is next on the radio ecma podcast
Heavy Halloween on the radio ECMA podcast, Thunderer, All or Nothing. And JJ, as promised, is here on the podcast. Welcome, sir. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. No problem. Why don't you tell me all about that song, All or Nothing? Uh, Yeah, All or Nothing is uh, basically it's about riding your motorcycle through a portal. So, uh, <laughs> okay. You're, yeah, you're, you're giving it the gas and you're going through this mystical portal. Um, I kind of think of it as a metaphor for like, uh, kicking it into high gear and chasing after your dreams. So the lyrics are a bit of a play on, on that. Like it's uh, about the motorcycle thing, but also about, um, yeah, chasing your dreams and, uh, metaphorically going after, uh, what you want in life. Um, the song is, um, it actually started as a drum song. Uh, so it's very drum oriented. And, um, uh, after that we added the, uh, the other instruments and, and the vocals on top. So, uh, it, it came to get together in an interesting way. Okay. I, I know I love the 16th double kicks all the way through. I mean, that- yeah, that's it. I like, I, re- I really wanted a ripper on the album, you know? So, uh, I, th- I think this one comes in at over 180 bpm so uh, yeah i wanted something with uh, <laughs> with some fast double kicks you know and, uh, as a drummer of course like i uh, i love playing fast stuff like that so uh yeah this one's the the fast track on the album absolutely and like i said those double kicks are are awesome man good stuff thank you um and, and thunderer really in many ways is pretty much your solo album it's it's a you production and, and, of course, you got tons of other gigs on the go. Why don't you tell us why you decided at this point to branch out in this direction? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I, I did think about making it um, as more of a solo project and presenting it that way, even with uh, – I had different band names uh, in mind also. Uh, but uh, Thunderer is, is actually a collaborative effort um really between myself and uh johnny nesta uh the guitar player yeah so uh we wrote all the tunes together um but when when the idea first came about for the band it was really just me on my own um because at the time i was doing uh skull fist with johnny already right and we had done uh his solo project <laughs> okay. together uh, very recently as well, which was called Star Crash. So we were already working on a lot of stuff, and he was really busy. So I hadn't really asked him to uh, to do the Thunderer stuff yet. Um, it, w- it was really just going to be me, and I had some other uh, players in mind, including my brother, uh, Remy, who uh, we had also done another project together a couple years before that. Um, but, uh, the, the project really came together when, when Johnny was on board because we write so well together. And I think I, I wouldn't have been able to pull it off, uh, without him because although, um, uh, I did write the structures of the songs and the, like the, the drums and the keyboards and, and the vocals, but, uh, I, uh, I only play a little guitar <laughs> right? and, uh, so I really needed Johnny to come in and, and just lay down the guitar parts um as he he's really great at you know i think without that it wouldn't have been uh what it turned out to be so yeah having said that it's it's it really is a band effort between me and johnny and and that's why we chose um a name that is more neutral and we presented it in a band way so like not presenting it as like oh 
JJ Tartaglia's uh, Thunderer or anything like that. Right, like, right. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's a new band. For sure. But it is coming out on your record label, though, as well. So it's, you know, it, it does, uh, it's definitely more you centered than, say, like Skullfist totally. or, or anything like that. Yeah. So, and, uh, and you mentioned in a previous interview that I read um, that a book really influenced your your uh, way of thinking in how you're going to go forward. Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Why don't you tell us about that book and tell us about the effect that it had on your career? Absolutely. Uh, right at the time that I was uh, debating doing this this Thunderer project, uh, I was reading that book, uh, Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And uh, there's one point in the book where he talks about uh, the importance of having an impossible goal. And uh, that really, really struck me. I mean, there was a lot of parts in the book that I, I agreed with. I think me and Tim Ferriss have a lot in common. Um, but this one in particular, and I think I really needed that in my life. I think I had that in my life uh, earlier on, um, you know, wanting to be an aspiring drummer and, uh, you know, kind of making it in a band. Uh, in a rock band or a metal band. And I think because, uh, you know, that that's always been the uh, the journey for me is doing that. Uh, you know, music was always the goal. And I think now that I had achieved some of that success and pretty much accomplished what I wanted to do, you know, not to the level that it could go to, you know, and I'm still striving for, but more or less I was happy with what I had done. So I think I really needed something fresh uh, to kind of uh, really motivate me again and, and kind of uh, push my limits and uh, get me to try something new. So that that really uh, encouraged me to develop my vocals and, uh, and become a singer because <laughs> when I was reading the book um, at that time, it, it's, it really did seem impossible to me to become a singer. I, I was uh, I was borderline tone deaf. Uh, I, every, every attempt I ever tried to, to sing and or even do backup vocals, it turned out terribly. And I, yeah, I was, I was very discouraged. I was like pretty much ready to give up. But I um, I, I really uh, I really wanted to do it. And, and then I think when I decided that this was going to be my, my impossible goal, I was gonna I was gonna learn how to sing. I was gonna form my own band around that and and, and put myself out there and just become uh, that. So um, I think once that idea was was planted in me, then uh, everything kind of started to fall together. But uh, yeah, that 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 was a, a very big motivator for me, and and a big reason, a main reason that Thunder exists really is just uh, it was a, a project in order to to push myself. Absolutely. And, uh, and and the thing is, too, about your vocals, like, like, don't sleep on the fact that you're, you know, drumming the whole time and really busy drumming and very heavy handed drumming. And then you're trying to reach those top notes as a metal singer. Like, how did you train your body to be able to handle that and still have enough breath for singing? Yeah, it it was definitely uh, difficult in the beginning. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I, had to, yeah, <laughs> I had to start very slow. Um, I but it brings me back to a very important conversation I actually had uh, with Larry from the band Vicious Rumors. Uh, I don't know if you know them. They're an old school band, uh, very successful, 
and uh, we we did a cruise together, uh, Full Metal Cruise, a few years back. And uh, Larry actually sings as well. And he, I didn't know this, and he was telling me that he would sing backups, and sometimes he would sing lead too. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then I was telling him about you know, kind of my idea to like, oh man, I really want to be able to sing. Like I, I need to be able to do the backups and skull fist and like, I can't, yeah. and uh, I need to, I need to learn how to do that. And uh, he, he said something that broke it down very simply to me. And he was like, dude, we're drummers. So we don't need to worry about drumming. We always, we already know how to do that. Right. You just need to worry about singing. And it's so obvious when you say it, but like just the way when he said that to me, I was like, man, you're right. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, like, you're right. <laughs> I, I don't need to think you can do it in your sleep. You know, like it doesn't matter. You, we've been doing it our whole lives. Right. Um, so I, I really just all of the focus was just on the singing. And as far as doing it together, it's you get that separation kind of happening in your head where it's like, you know, it's the same feeling as strumming an acoustic guitar and singing on top of it you know i'm sure pretty much everyone's done that it's it's a bit weird at first but then you kind of get that separation happening where you can disconnect your brain and then it kind of happens automatically so that's uh that's totally the same thing that happens with drumming it's there's a disconnect that happens there and then you're just able to to balance both, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the drumming is so second nature that you can literally, like you were saying, like turn off that side of your brain and really concentrate on the singing and just let the drumming happen automatically because, like you said, you, you were doing it uh, for years. And I want to take you back, JJ, right now. You grew up in Cape Breton. This is the Radio ECMA podcast, so we want to talk about that a little bit. What were those days like in the early days, starting out, drumming, and how did you come to metal living in Cape Breton? Totally, yeah. I am uh, born in Inverness, Cape Breton. Actually, I was raised in uh, a very small town called Granitang. Um, it's a little bit past Marguerite if you're uh, driving up from Inverness. Uh, so it's kind of between Marguerite and Shetty Camp. But I grew up in that area. Um, and uh, as you probably know, there is not much uh, heavy metal happening in, <laughs> in right. Cape Breton. <laughs> and uh, even less when I was when I was growing up. So, yeah. um, I mean, I was I was very fortunate that uh, my dad uh, was a drummer, and uh, my, I, I mean, actually, both my parents were musicians. My mom played some fiddle, and um, they they put us through piano uh, lessons when we were really young. And more importantly, my dad uh, showed me the drums uh, when I was very young. So I was fortunate to have very supportive parents, and my, my dad got me a drum kit. We had a little shed uh, on the property that was kind of set up so I could go in there and play and not disturb anyone. Yeah. Um, so I, I, w- I was very fortunate there. I was also fortunate that my dad was a metalhead, <laughs> and uh, he had a very cool uh, metal uh, cassette tape collection, oh. which was yeah, which was basically my kind of, uh, you know, reference material. Yes, that's where you got <laughs> schooled. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, totally. So, uh, yeah, that was great. I, I got to learn about all kinds of bands. And then later when CDs came out, he would he would uh, always buy lots of CDs. And, uh, you know, we didn't have cable TV or anything like that. We didn't have internet uh, back in those days. So it was just really uh, whatever CDs we had. I had a couple metalhead friends in high school. 
um, you know, who would kind of pass me off some stuff, uh, whatever was coming out. They would record like uh, much loud episodes on VHS and then didn't have right. me a VH- VHS tape afterwards and I'd, I'd be able to watch it at home <laughs> um so yeah i mean that would that i i was lucky to at least have that um but right away i was very very uh infatuated by metal and uh and, and hard rock and i knew i wanted to do that um there was none of that happening at the time in cape breton so i i actually played in uh, a country music band uh, when i was wow. in high school yeah and uh, with like some local dudes they were way older than me they were like my dad's age and uh yeah but uh like they, they couldn't find any drummers there was like no drummers in the in the town right okay. so uh, yeah so i got the gig there but it was cool you know it, it got me some experience playing live and we would do like country music covers um and then i would do covers with some some other dudes uh, in my school and stuff so uh but yeah, I mean, eventually, you know, as, as soon as I graduated, I, I did have to leave home to uh, to pursue my uh, my ambitions as, as being a, a rock drummer and a metal drummer. What was your first metal band? Oh, uh, the first metal band I was actually a part of was called Devour. I think it was okay, <laughs> and it was it was a band. It was actually with two newfie guys. Okay, who uh, yeah, there was two newfies. They were living in Toronto here. And, uh, yeah, they were doing metal. I had just, I, I was just fresh here. I was, uh, I was 18 and I remember I found them through an ad in the paper and, uh, yeah, we, we played for a few months and then I think the bass player got arthritis or something okay. and, uh, and that was the end of that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens. It happens. Well, that, that's so your first metal band was actually in Toronto then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I, back in high school, we, uh, we did like, uh, kind of like a pop punk thing with some guys I knew, but there was uh, there was no metal happening. I didn't know any metal musicians. Basically. Okay, very good. Yeah. And, and you've you know progressed to here. Obviously, you've you've toured all, toured all over the world. You're in a, a bunch of bands, and and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that you know you've got Thunder around the go. However, you're still the drummer in Skullfist. So I'm I think the Skullfist fans would like to know about your status in Skullfist. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, still still going strong with Skullfist. Uh, we actually just put out uh, a new record, uh, Paid in Full, which came out in uh, April on Atomic Fire Records. So uh, that's out there. We've actually been, uh, besides that, pretty quiet over the pandemic. Uh, we still haven't played any live shows, um, you know, and we kind of, uh, I mean, uh, Zach's, the you know the main dude in the band and he didn't really feel comfortable with playing uh this year so we kind of said okay like we're we're not going to play any shows in 2022 uh we're going to start up again in 2023 so we've got a south america tour uh that's happening in february uh so we're hitting mexico and a bunch of countries in south america on that that's going to kind of be our first tour since uh the pandemic so uh yeah we're pretty stoked on that and then we're, we're working on some plans for europe um as well for the spring so yeah hopefully that goes down but uh yeah everything's good there just really looking forward to going out and play again we get, we get a lot of messages all the time people wondering when we're playing next so yeah. yeah it shouldn't be too much longer now okay great and of course you got thunder on the go and then and the uh, new album there so uh, you're going to be pretty busy over the next little while, and everybody's really looking forward to that. Thank you very much, JJ Tartaglia, 
for appearing on the Radio ECMA podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Chris. There's JJ. What a great interview. And and I dig that Thunderer stuff. I mean, that is like really old school metal. You know, back when, when I was a kid, when, when metal was, was like that in the 80s. So I, I dig that, man. That's awesome. And looking forward to new Skullfist dates coming up in Mexico and South America in 2023. And perhaps after that, some Thunderer dates in Canada. Wishing, not booked yet, but wishing. So we'll, we'll look forward to JJ uh, being back on the road very soon. Okay, we're going to move away from Inverness, Nova Scotia, approximately 345 kilometers west to Halifax for Botfly, who have been together for nine years and recently won the ECMA for Loud Recording of the Year for their latest record, Lower Than Love. I got Keegan Goodspeed waiting in the queue to talk to us. He'll be talking to us about what the band has been up to since they won the ECMA, how they've handled COVID, and what they're going to be doing going forward. So Keegan Goodspeed is coming right up after we hear from Botfly. This is Life as a 9 to 5. Keegan's next on the Radio ECMA podcast. For you, I would. Fly life as a nine to five on heavy Halloween radio ECMA podcast. And as promised, Keegan Goodspeed here from Botfly. Welcome, sir. 
Hello, sir. Tell us about that song, Life is a 9 to 5. So that song, uh, we call it the uh, the secret hit of the record. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems to it seems to be going over quite well when we play it live, and the 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 energy of it seems to transpire with the crowd. So yeah, we're calling it now the secret hit of the record. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's a simple song uh, musically. When we wrote it, uh, there was probably three other parts that we just cut out of it because we were like, you know what. We're just going to keep this one simple and just let it let it do what it wants, what it's telling us it wants to do. And I think that worked for the better. And uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like I don't know, when you're writing a record, you can you can overindulge by trying to be creative. And and sometimes, like we were lucky where this time we did a bunch of pre-pro and uh, just listening to what we had. We were like, we're trying too hard with some of these songs. And by pulling back, they're just much better songs. So I love that you did that. Yeah. I love that you did that. Like demoing is really like kind of a lost art. I think people just kind of dive in a little bit instead of like demoing the songs. And and like you're saying, like actually assessing what you have and then refining it. Yeah. I I feel like that is a, that's a product of money. True enough. <laughs> it, it costs so much to do everything. So having that time to, to demo is, uh, it's a privilege, honestly. And we're lucky to have uh, members of our band who, who are uh, fluent in recording. So good. We're, uh, we're lucky to be able to do that at no cost other than renting from Long McQuaid, which takes a very low budget. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great that you get to do that. You have, uh, yeah, you got some solid guys in there that can, can lay it down and you can uh, truly yeah. assess what you have. I think that's, uh, I think that's really smart. Um, yeah. So you guys formed in, uh, in Halifax in 2013 and, yeah. um, and I'm interested about your influences, like where you started. I think your sound is very unique. Okay. So, um, Growing up in Halifax, there was a very big uh, hardcore and metalcore scene when I was a kid, uh, going to shows and getting involved in the punk scene in Halifax. And I feel like that kind of started my route down the heavy, heavy music road. But very quickly, I got uh, bored with the epicness and uh, hmm. melody that seems to be... Uh, never reinvented in that style of music or at least <laughs> at, at that point in time in my life so i started going back into earlier stuff like uh touch and go record stuff like the jesus yeah. lizard and slint and bands like the melvins right. and botch and uh i don't know young widows was a huge one and their their band before young widows um breathe or resist i was very like i was very much in this like kind of mathy but also like like just heavy but kind of quirky kind of music sure much like uh bands from here like north america or vikings if you're familiar with either of those names yeah and you know what um, early sloan was like that too i mean before they early tur- sloan yeah, yeah. There, i mean it was definitely a little bit more uh radio friendly but it it was it was some odd stuff that first record is yeah really it was got, noisy got some yeah it's, it is very noisy and and they they're on record saying that they were worried that their second record wasn't going to do well because what people expected of them was <laughs> this noisy indie band which True. which which yeah i mean we all 
we all know now that it was an okay move for them to do. That. Absolutely. <laughs> but you guys went down that road, and 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 you're and you've not only gone down that road, you're you're continuing to um, refine it, and uh, you know because you've released several singles and EPs as well, and uh, that led to your debut album, of course, in in mm-hmm. 2017. So, what was the difference between making that debut album and and just making the singles and EPs? Like, did it feel like a like a bigger thing? Was there more pressure? So there, there's a, there's a bit of a story behind all that. So when the band started, uh, my good friend Chris Murdoch was the original drummer of this band, and uh, he was about to have a baby. So the ability to play shows and touring was not as uh, prevalent as just writing music. So I figured, hey, if I can't be doing one thing, then I'm going to focus a ton of time on writing and recording and just releasing music because that's something we can do. So the the initial process of everything in this band when it started was, was let's just write stuff, record it, and put it out. Let's not worry about having a full record. Let's not worry about any of that. If we got two songs, we get them out there into the world. I just wanted this project to take off. Yeah. But uh, there was definitely, like, once Chris had his child, or Chris and his wife had his child, yeah. um, he, he didn't have time for yeah. the band anymore or any of the 10 bands that he was in. <laughs> that's when the real work starts. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> like, exactly. So we were, we were very fortunate enough to have my longtime friend, Dwayne Shanks, join the band and kind of just fill those shoes quicker than anyone could have asked for. And uh, it just, it started becoming this thing where we're like, okay, well, let, let's like, instead of just having these two songs here, or these three songs here, let's, let's try and actually make a record that's, kind of conceptual like it makes sense it's got the flow so to answer your question yeah it definitely felt like a bigger deal but i think it was only pressure that we were putting on ourselves like at that point in time we had recorded so many times and kind of gone down the road of like figuring out what we wanted our sound to be captured as that it was more just our own our own pressure of being like we want to prove that we can write a full length record that's cohesive and makes sense. And I would mention that at that time too, like your, your sound was still very much, much in flux because like changing drummers is not just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just like one person goes out, one person comes in, like almost it, it like changes the whole feel of the band. So absolutely. So maybe, you know, because of that, you, you were still finding your way and, and then decided to make something bigger with the new sound, did you feel like it was different? I think it was what we needed because at the time, and, and Dwayne and I have many have had many talks about this uh, previously. Uh, he was trying to play to the style that Chris wrote in the beginning when he first joined the band, and yeah. I think because there was a release or two, maybe just one release, no, two releases before the full length that Dwayne was a part of. Yeah, And I think by the time we were hitting the full length, he was feeling comfortable in what he wanted to portray. And that was also helping our sound mature closer to what it is today at that time. Okay. Yeah, I, I can really see that, you know, because he's still kind of tentative, you know, because you guys had this thing and then mm-hmm. he wants to put his own stamp on it eventually. Mm-hmm. So um, that eventually led to your uh, your latest album, 2021's Lower Than Love. Congratulations on winning Loud Recording of the Year at the ECMAs <laughs> for Thank that. Thank you very much. So uh, <laughs> tell us a bit more about how the band has grown, not just with the changing of the drummer, but 
also uh, between songwriting, vocals, like all of that, you know, from your debut in 2017, well, your debut album in 2017, you know, to Lower Than Love. Mm-hmm. So in that time period, I mean, that's a that's a four-year gap for a record that's, that's in today's world seems absurd, but... I mean, there needs to be a, a remembrance that COVID did happen, sure. and the record was recorded, and we sat on it for about a year. And COVID's still but, happening, uh, by the way. <laughs> COVID is still happening. I just want to say that. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't be so vague, but, <laughs> but like the uh, the music world has seemingly recovered yes. to some degree. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But uh, the the difference between where we are now as a band and where we are then as a band. Um, besides personal maturity and just growing up (laughs) um we toured a lot like a lot a lot a lot which made us become a much tighter band yeah it made us see so many other bands from different regions of canada and america yeah which like allowed us to kind of pinpoint our faults and what we were doing wrong by seeing what other people were doing right and what we liked in in the variety of bands we were playing with, as opposed to playing with the same bands at home, you see the same thing. You kind of get stuck in that same that same cycle of like, well, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I want to do. Like, if you're not getting challenged, or at least in my personal opinion, if you're not getting challenged, you're not pushing yourself. Yeah. And as as a musician, you can never really stop learning. You can never stop wanting to experiment of course so like of course there's lots of people who will listen to heavy music and think uh you know if you're not familiar with it it's all sounds the same that's that's totally fine anybody (laughs) can say that about any style of music that they're not familiar with but there's so many uh little nuances in heavy music and i think especially in the kind that we play that like if once you start picking up on it you can really pick out certain bands from others and i i really credit our maturity as a band to being on the road being forced to deal with situations like breaking down or yeah. a show having three people at it when the show <laughs> the night before had 120 like <laughs> like you're, you're just thrown into these crazy whirlwind situations and you just have to deal with it or you break it's one or the other like it's a very cutthroat yeah and i think by being able to be persistent and break through that and continue to to challenge yourself and want to continue to do it. It, it it'll make you grow as a musician it'll make you grow as a band and as long as everyone can stay good with each other because that, that's one thing that has always been amazing about this band on the inside is like we're always friends first yeah and that that's the most important thing and i i think all of those little things adding together have what is what creates where we are now as a band well i think the metal scene in general and not just interband you know but like also between bands um has a real camaraderie you know in atlantic canada there seems to be lots of like helping each other like you were talking about um playing with other bands and how that helped you musically but you know did it help you business-wise as well you know and show you other things you know, that people were doing that maybe you wanted to do or you could have, you could have done better. Definitely. I mean, uh, it's, it's no, uh, it's no surprise to anyone who has lived in the metal scene or the punk scene for a while, but like that DIY ethic 
has to run deep in you, but you also can't do everything yourself. Like yeah. it is, it is DIY, but it's also do it together. And, and like no one else is out there. Like the, I don't want to talk about the industry too much, but like, oh, why not? They turn a blind, <laughs> they turned a blind eye to the metal scene because it's not as marketable. Which is, well, yes, you know, if you want to talk on a business side, that it makes sense, and I get it. But well, as a band who has has traveled and has received so much in my life because of this world, I want to be able to give back to it, and I feel like that's a a common thread between a lot of people in this world and they ju- they just if you if you don't give back to this but all you do is take then you're not helping this whole world thrive and succeed i love that i love that paying it forward all the time i mean that's that, yeah. that's incredible yeah. and i think there's a real there's a real sense you know, amongst the metal scene because as you say like business wise perhaps not a not a real great thing you know, for but but the thing is here, I, I would argue as well that like um, you know, metal is is often like country music as well. It's like mm-hmm. it, it may be small and it may be it may have a limited ceiling, but it's dedicated. I mean, that's oh, the yeah. that's the thing. That's the thing about yeah. metal, and, and same thing about country music. You know, where it's like you know, it may have a ceiling business wise, but it's super dedicated, so you can always yeah. count on it. You know, I mean it. it <laughs> for what it's worth like we have printed a lot of merch in our in our lifetime as a band and it consistently sells yeah and people are like the same person comes back and buys every piece of article of clothing that we make like people want to see us and other bands like us succeed because it's it's rising tides you know yeah Uh, no absolutely i I agree with that so uh so good stuff there so what's next now for botfly you didn't tour during covid the the album is out. I don't really expect, you know, anything new from from you guys in a recorded way. Um, so like touring. Oh, that's funny because we just put out a a, a cover of an Elliot Smith song oh. on a compilation just the other day. Okay, okay. Well, you know, still releasing yeah. stuff. I love that. But oh yeah. Are you are are you you know are you gonna are you gonna tour lower than love now that COVID is calming down? Yes, uh, we 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 literally just got back from uh, a tour a week ago was the last day we were just in Ontario and Quebec and then met up with uh, comeback kid and cancer bats to do the East coast. We've been, we've been touring. Um, our drummer lives in Montreal now, so we definitely have to be a little bit more logical about what we're doing, but we've got tons of plans still on the go where, uh, you know, me and the other guitar player are Alex Babineau. We're, we're constantly writing we got another record coming so good it's not to worry the the band is not slowing down we 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 pushed too hard for the past nine years to slow down now so <laughs> excellent well i love that yeah and uh, i'm looking forward to the new stuff and uh maybe uh you know see you on the road as well keegan good speed so. thank you very much for appearing on the radio ecma podcast anytime there's Keegan looking forward to more from Botfly in recorded form and also going on the road. And hopefully they're going to make it here to where I am in Newfoundland and Labrador, maybe for the very first time. I would be so pumped for that. So thank you, Keegan. Thank you, JJ Tartalia, as well for appearing on Heavy Halloween. I hope you really enjoyed today's podcast as much as I did. We got a full season lined up for you. Lots to come. 
My producer, Tony, is just doing a fantastic job. we got great episodes lined up for you, so make sure you drop back and see us in a month's time as we'll have another episode for you of the Radio ECMA Podcast. I'm Chris Batstone. Bye for now. The Radio ECMA Podcast with host Chris Batstone is produced by the East Coast Music Association, recorded at Imaging by Guido in St. John's, ibgrocks.com, supported by TD. Music by Cassie Mann. For more information on upcoming episodes, head to ecma.com or find us on socials at East Coast Music. Join us monthly. Thanks for listening.